Hello again, we're back for another edition of the Kickstocks Football Weekly Podcast. As always, we'll be bringing you all of the latest talking points from around the footballing world. In this week's podcast, we're set for an all-London FA Cup finale, and there's more drama at the bottom of the Premier League table. We'll be looking at some of the major talking points and the newest additions to English football's top flight. Hala Madrid, Real once again emerged as La Liga champions for a record 34th time. We reflect on some of the stern words coming from within Barca camp and look ahead at the importance of upcoming club elections. And after Juventus put Lazio to the sword in their latest Serie A fixture, does that spell the end for our hopes of a competitive title race this season with only four games remaining in the Italian top division? All that and more in this week's pod. Just before we get started, Vic, um, just some news briefs from around the football scene. The Ballon d'Or, awarded annually to the world's best footballer, will not be held in 2020 this year because of the lack of, and in their words, sufficiently level playing field caused by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, That's according to the organisers France Football. They did add, we did not want to put an indelible asterisk on the prize list as trophy won in exceptional circumstances due to the health crisis of COVID-19. Essentially, they wanted to protect the credibility and legitimacy of such a prize, meaning that they wanted to guarantee its irreproachability over time. What do you make of that? Um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a noble effort to uh, to keep things fair. It's always difficult, especially if you see that some uh, players, they had to play more in a short time span. If you look at Juventus, who had nine games in a month, you know, which would have been more than, uh, for example, uh, the Spanish club. So it's, you know, that, and that has an effect on performance. So um, I think it's um, a, a good decision. Mm. Of course, there would have been some notable mentions, uh, Neymar and Mbappe for sure. I mean, obviously they've had their season cut short because uh, as we know, the French League were the only of the top five leagues to actually um, cut their season prematurely. That being said, though, there are uh, a few fans I've seen around social media who are basically saying, look, if Messi and Ronaldo were front runners this year, they would have kept the uh, competition going anyway. It's only because maybe they're not the first names on everyone's lips this year that they've seen it as an opportune moment to to not go ahead of the ceremony. Bogus, isn't it? Nah, I mean, it's for me, those two are still at the top, always. And it, I think it, it depends on how you define or what the rules are, you know, t- for choosing your Ballon d'Or winner. Is it is it the best player of, of the season? Or is it, you know, the player who surprised you the most or who has had the best stats, goal-wise? Um, obviously, there's been discussions in the past that defenders, you know, they're not being recognized as much as attackers because they're less in the spotlight and they make, they're less flashy probably. So, uh, but I think if you purely look at um, the best footballer, for me, that's always Messi. And, uh, and he has been this season as well. Do you think that's how the, the award should be judged, though? I mean, because if that was the case, obviously Ronaldo and Messi would be the only two that should be in the running anyway. So uh, in that respect, we don't even have to consider all of the other footballers. Um, surely it has to be on form that season, contributions that season, how you've played in that season, no? But look at their stats this season. No, of course. No, no, absolutely. So... So even though people people don't people want a different winner because they think it's boring that these two win all the time. Mm. But if you look at it, why should they get punished by not winning the prize because they've won it in the past so often? Yeah, fair enough. And normally it's dictated by whoever's won the Champions League that year, at least between them two. So that leads me to question then: if the Ballon d'Or were going this year, who would be your top three contenders? 
Um, well, going back to what I just said, I think Messi would win it for me. Ronaldo would be number two. And I think I would put Robert Lewandowski, who's had an incredible season, at number three. Are you So you're judging that, though, based on this season? I'm, ba- I'm basing it on this season, yeah. Okay, so Messi, for you, has been the best player, the outstanding player in Europe this year. Yep. Okay, so you go in that order, Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski. I would go... I mean, there's factors you have to take out of as well. Like, I, I, I think it's super commendable what Ronaldo's doing at his age in, in, yeah. in, in, at Juventus for his yeah. second year there. Um, but if, if I take that out of it and purely look at play, Messi would still be my number one. I just think he's the best footballer and he proves it. Lewandowski be, would be my number two. So even if Messi doesn't win La Liga or Champions League, I mean, he hasn't won La Liga, but even if he doesn't win Champions League, he'd still be Ballon d'Or for you. I don't know if that's an important factor for me that you win win those prizes. Okay. Interesting. For me, uh, I was looking at maybe an alternative top three. Uh, if we were to take... I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo has to be up there for sure. I mean, 34 goals and seven assists across all competitions this year. At his age, incredible, incredible feat. Messi never disappoints, obviously. 30 goals, 26 assists in 42 games. Um, it's so impressive. But because it's Lionel Messi, no one really bats an eyelid at it. Robert Lewandowski, I agree with you, has to be in the conversation for sure this season. Uh, 51 goals, 42 appearances across all competitions. I mean, incredible. <laughs> it's just insane. Um, maybe someone from the Prem. I would shout out to Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, I think he's been in- in- incredible this year. Look, in terms of goals, he's only got 13, but he's got 21 assists uh, for the campaign. But I th- in my opinion, his contribution is measured beyond just his assists and his goals. It's just his overall play, it's just incredible. And potentially, you could even throw um, your boy Karim Benzema in the conversation, I think. I mean, he's been pivotal to, to Madrid's title win this year. 26 goals, 11 assists. Um, yeah, still still pulling in uh, and, and performing at the times when it matters. I definitely think he deserves to be in the conversation, but I don't think he's good enough for the top three. Okay. I mean, if I ask you who's the best player in the world, you would say? Lionel Messi. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In other news, Leeds United are back in the Premier League next season after a long-awaited 16-year hiatus. How much have they been missed, Vic? I think they've been missed a lot. I think Leeds, a massive club in England, had a, a troublesome 16 years, to say the least. And it's incredible to think that it's actually 16 years since Leeds were last a top-flight team in, in the UK, considering the size of the club, the fan base, even their international support. It's actually criminal, the fact that they've been gone so long. Yeah. And then, you know, if you look at their coach, Bielsa, who's a, a well-respected coach and who's been a mentor for, like, uh, the likes of Diego Simeone and uh, who's done a lot, you know, it's 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 nice to have him back in the Premier League and to see that the, their fans yeah. can also enjoy Premier League football next season. Yeah, for sure, I agree. And, and a club the size of Leeds should be in the Premier League, really. Um, wasted down in the Championship. What do we expect to see from next season? Depends how they're going to spend their newfound Premier League money. I mean, uh, do you think Bielsa's going to spend big bucks, or do you reckon, like we spoke about last month, he's maybe going to look at more of what Wolves did when they came up and try and keep the core of the spine intact? Maybe add a few additions here or there, but generally keep the team as is. I hope. I, I hope for a little mix. I mean, obviously you need you need some players with um, with tough light experience uh, after being away for so long. Of course, you need to keep the spine, the players that were important for you this season because they were. You know they they're up for by landslide almost. Mm. It was uh, they've been number one for almost all of the season. But I definitely hope to see some some nice transfers, some transfers you maybe wouldn't expect from other leagues. Players who still want to play Premier League football, mm. who might uh, go to Leeds because the the wages they can pay exactly. because of Premier League football. So uh, sure. I, hope, I hope for some fireworks. Uh, 
Yeah. There. And of course, the, the, the beauty and the, and the attraction of the Premier League is not just that it attracts the best players, but also the best managers. And everyone will be happy, I think, to get Bielsa as well uh, added to that list next season and see what you can pull out in the big leagues. In other news, fans across Europe's big five leagues could be back into stadiums and supporting their favourite teams by awesome time. Now, Boris Johnson's come out and said that fans could be in stadiums again as early as October. It's looking like similar situation across the rest of the top five leagues. Question is, in your opinion, is it too soon? I don't think it will happen. I mean, if you see, if you look at, um, at, uh, at the spread of the virus, you know, people are expecting a second wave. Some people think it's going to come soon, sooner rather than later. So I think August is, is, is quite a stretch. Mm. I hope so, of course. I hope to go back to the Ajax Stadium, watch... Uh, watch the team play as soon as possible but uh, I think it's too soon and uh, you know we have to be careful people have to stay safe and, and we got to keep this this thing under control yeah I largely agree with you I think the situation going on in football right now is very much a microcosm of what's happening uh, in terms of a state level uh, there's this fine balance that governments and football associations have to strike between you know, obviously getting fans back in the stadium and starting to generate revenue for especially smaller teams who are so dependent on match day revenue. So they need to get tickets sold. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to consider the, the health and safety of not just the fans, but the players and people working at the football clubs as well. So absolutely interesting, interesting one to watch. That's the news brief for this week. Should we crack on with the roundup? Of La Liga. Of La Liga. Uh, as you stated, Real Madrid champions, congratulations. I mean, we discussed it in the last couple of podcasts. You know, they well deserved it. Uh, Karim Benzema, so important for the title prolongation. But I actually wanted to talk about, you know, the the, the, the players of the season, the disappointments of the season, the, the biggest surprise of the season. And if you look at the player of the season, even though he... I mean, it's difficult because you look at the Real Madrid players who've been so pivotal. You know, uh, Karim Benzema with his goals, Sergio Ramos with his goals and his, and his defensive... Uh, Actions, but even Courtois, you know, who had a 0.6 goals conceded per game on average, you know, which is he started off poor but came back so strong. But for me, it's still Lionel Messi who will be the Kickstocks MVP of La Liga. Just to just to give you some stats, you know, he he scored 25 goals. He won the La Liga Golden Boot for the seventh time in his career, which is now the fourth time in a row. Uh, Benzema came second with uh, four goals behind him. Uh, Messi also had 21 assists, while the number two was Mikel Oyarzabal with only 11 assists. So that's 10 more than the number two. And the craziest stat for me is that Messi had 182 successful dribbles, when the number two was Nabil Fakir from Real Betis with 98 successful dribbles, almost half of what Messi has done. So, you know, he leads the table in shots uh, as well. And there's so many stats that, that Messi... Yeah, it's, it's just the best thing. So for me, needless to say, he's the Kickstock's MVP of the season. Uh, like you said, people often forget how good he is because he normalized his performances so much. Uh, but I just want to put it out there. A big surprise for me was Santi Cazorla. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who a couple of years ago was told by doctors that he would never play again or there was a risk that he would never play again yeah. after a severe ankle injury. Yeah, yeah. And to. look how he came back with Villarreal, who who had a terrific season. After, his boyhood uh, club. After fighting for relegation the past couple of seasons, and he's been so pivotal, scored uh, more than 10 goals. He's been involved in 25 goals all season. Yeah. Uh, captain, obviously, it's his boyhood club. Uh, fairy tale stuff. Exactly. So, shout out to Santi. Good on you. And I hope he stays at Villarreal. I don't know. There's rumors of him going to uh, 
to uh, the Middle East. Uh, the biggest disappointment of this season was Rodrigo from Valencia. Valencia, they were having a poor season. They came in ninth, which means no European football. Last year, they were fourth. They secured a Champions League ticket. They even went through to the, to the, to the second round. But he only scored four goals in 27 matches, only created 11 chances, and he had an average of one key pass per game, which was disappointing all around. Especially considering the season he had last season. Right? Exactly. And, and you know, in Spain, they were saying he's our new number nine for yep. the national team. He just had a terrible, There's talk terrible of Barca season. coming in for him and, and buying him. Exactly. So, uh, disappointing all around. LVP of the season in La Liga. Rodrigo from Valencia. And the player to watch... For me, next season is Martin Odegaard, who uh, you know, who helped Real Sociedad secure uh, European football, which were, they were over the moon uh, when they reached that. Um, he was key, and you just see that this guy has so much talent. He proved it in the Eredivisie last year at Vitesse. Uh, everyone knew he was a big talent, you know, going to Real Madrid at 16 years old. But um, I hope, whether it's at Sociedad still or somewhere else, I hope he has a chance to you know make minutes. And, and keep on developing. I think it's a uh, really exciting player to watch. Well, he, he comes back to Real Madrid in summer. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if they're going to loan him out again to somewhere or he's going to get a chance from Zinedine Zidane. Should he get a chance? I think he should. Is he ready? I think he should, yeah. I think he should. But, you know, even if there's a slight... He should, he should play every match. So if that's not the case, then Real Madrid should loan him out. For his sake. There's a Real Madrid, uh, Zinedine Zidane came out and with a cryptic message when asked about whether he's going to stay at the club next year. He had the classic, obviously, managerial message saying, essentially, he's got a contract, he's willing to honour it, but football is football and who knows what may happen. Classic media training, no? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> In your opinion, does he stick around? I think he will. Yeah? I think he will. I think uh, Florentino Perez, he made the mistake of letting him go once and... Uh, and you see what he's done at the club. So I think Real Madrid at least will do everything they can to uh, to keep him there. So yeah, you know, speaking of Zinedine Zidane, uh, th- there's rumors of Gareth Bale wanting to stay at Real Madrid for a sloppy 17 million uh, euros a year, which is just a crazy amount of salary. And I just want to ask you, James, there's a, there's a discussion between really, you know, regarding Gareth Bale. A lot of people think, you know, if you're a football player you got to give everything for the club you play for, for the club that pays your salary. You know, fans want to see passion. They want to, they want to see dedication. Uh, but there's a, there's an, another point of view that, you know, people think that he can do whatever he wants. And if, if, if Real Madrid give him a contract for, for an X amount of, of, of dollars or euros a year, that he has the choice to, to stay. What do you think? Do you think that even though he has a terrible relation with the coach, the fans, and even the city of Madrid, you know, we've seen his, uh, his actions in the past, do you, do you agree with that or, or how do you feel? I, I have a bit of sympathy for Gareth Bale because I think he's been treated quite harshly at times by the Real Madrid fans despite producing a lot of you know magic moments for the club and actually coming up big time especially in a lot of finals we're talking Copa del Reyes we're talking that amazing goal in the Champions League final against Liverpool the overhead kick and in many ways I don't think he's gotten the credit he deserves and I don't know if that's because um, he's for a long period of his time played when Ronaldo was there and he is somewhat in his shadow or whether he's a British foreign player and, and, and you know, hasn't hasn't really warmed to the fans. I mean, there's 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 rumours that he hasn't learnt the language very well. There's rumours that he's not really integrated that well with his teammates. He doesn't really go out and socialise too much. He's, he's too much on the golf course. But ultimately, you know, every professional is different. And, and I think some professionals... 
they would rather get to bed early and and not go out and, and drink till till late at night and that's something you do in Spain but Gareth Bale is obviously something that he would rather get to bed by nine o'clock and make sure he shows up at, to training on time the next day and, and that's just the way he is you know but um, people people sorry to interrupt but people could also say like he doesn't care yeah because I, you because I think it's not it's not it's not a must but I think people should make an effort to fit in I agree so learning the language is part of going to a different country or a different club and and that just needs to be you know and people especially the fans they want to see that passion for the club I so agree. maybe it's maybe it's better you know if he, if they part ways and and say yeah for th- this is this is this is you know the end of the story at Real Madrid for Gareth Bale I mean if you look at his stats as well he has 105 Real Madrid goals Zinedine Zidane and Luis Figo combined have 105 mm. goals the Brazilian Ronaldo has 104 goals. Hmm. He has won four Champions Leagues, four Club World Cups, two La Ligas, one Copa del Rey, three UEFA Super Cups, and one Spanish Super Cup. His record is stellar this, at Real this, Madrid. I mean, this, this is what I mean with Gareth Bale, and he's he's such a top, top player, and he, he deserves his place at Real Madrid because he can perform at that level. He's not done himself many favours sometimes in the way he's, he's, he's maybe acted off the pitch. But ultimately, at a football club, if a player doesn't want to be there, the football club should not keep that player. No matter how big the player is, no matter how good the player is, if the player does not want to be there, the club shouldn't keep him. Um, on Gareth Bale's side, you know, it's, it's tricky because... If 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 the club don't want him and the fans don't like him and he's not happy there, of course he should go. But you're in a tricky situation where you're getting paid probably about three hundred fifty thousand a week. You're on a mega contract at the age of thirty-one, turning thirty-two. Who's going to take Gareth Bale for that kind of money right now? I mean, where do you go? What what are his options? And that that's why it's the tricky point because you might be at a place where the club want to sell, the player might want to go, but who's willing to buy? And unless you have a buying club, and unless the player is willing to take a substantial pay cut. It's tricky to see where Gareth Bale goes next, and it's kind of what's happening with you could draw similarities with Özil at Arsenal right now. You know, Özil he's he's not even getting on the bench some games, but he's on such a big contract. You know, Arsenal would want to get rid of him. Özil, I'm sure, isn't happy to just sit on the bench most weeks and not play football. But who's going to come in and buy him on a contract like that? But then either you have to lower your standards or give everything for the club because no one no one is a winner here. Except for, you know, if, if Gareth Bale is happy Except sitting on the bench, bank account. exactly, then that's the only winner. So I can see why Real Madrid fans are like, you know, go away and thank you for what you've done. But we only want players who really want to play for Real Madrid here and yep. give everything. Yeah. Uh, another talking point from La Liga, since we're on the topic, Barca have got elections for uh, electing a new board coming up in the summer of 2021. One of the front runners, Victor Font, who's a Catalan businessman, uh, he's made his um, millions essentially in media and telecommunications. Um, he's running on an election slogan of Si al Futur, which is yes to the future. He's come out and said things such as, for example, uh, Kike Setien would not have been his ideal manager and wouldn't be his first choice to remain if he wins. Uh, he claims there's a strong desire for legend Xavi to return to the club in a coaching role. And controversially, he's come out and said that FC Barca could quickly become another AC Milan or Manchester United and be unable to challenge for European and domestic trophies if things do not drastically change at the club. So it looks like the winds of change are sweeping through FC Barca at the moment. Where do you think Barca are as a club right now? And do you think they do need a fresh voice to come in and steer them in a different direction? I mean, they don't seem like a settled club right now, do they? No, they don't. And I think I think they definitely need some some fresh uh, a fresh vision because um, otherwise it can go downhill quite quickly. I think that the comments he made about Kike Setien, they're easy scoring points because the, everyone knows that the season ended on a poor note. So saying, you know, we, he would not he's not the ideal manager is is easy scoring points for the fans. 
Uh, that and everyone, everyone wants to see Xavi return. Exactly. Come so, on. again, easy scoring points. Yeah. Comparing it to Barcelona and Milan, I'm not sure because the demise of those clubs actually started when a lot of key players in the United's case, the key manager, left. Um, at at uh, United, you, you know, you had the, the successful team of the late 2000s with Vidish, Ferdinand, Rooney, who was still there, but still um, Giggs retiring. Uh, and Alex Ferguson leaving, which had a huge impact and a huge change. Uh, and at Milan, you know, you had Thiago Silva who left, uh, Ibrahimovic who left, to PSG, uh, the two strongholders of the team. So I, th- I think there's a slight difference there because Barcelona still has those key players. If you look at Piquet, Suarez, Messi, players who can still make a difference, top-class players. Mm. If they were to leave, then that fall of Barcelona is a lot more likely. Mm. Of course, let's let's remind ourselves as well. They are the top revenue generating club in the world. Uh, Deloitte put them as front runners to become the first club to actually reach the billion dollar mark in terms of uh, revenue in a single year, which would just be absolutely incredible. There's no denying the popularity of the club. Um, but even Messi himself, he's come out uh, following the club's two one defeat uh, home defeat to Osasuna. He publicly decried the team's form this season, saying. In his own words, that they're a weak team who can be beaten with enough intensity and enthusiasm. Things must change. So there's obviously still Messi, their top superstar, feeling unsettled. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like strange times at FC Barcelona right now. And despite the size of them, uh, it does seem like uh, some changes need to be made in terms of the harmony between the dressing room and the board. Um, so it'll be interesting to see actually where the club directs itself in the future. They need to sign a couple of good players. They need to sign a good coach. And then I think things will be fine with FC Barcelona and they'll fight for the title once again next season. Absolutely. And plus they still have the Champions League to play for. So and if they, they win the Champions, Champions League... The, the the cries of despair will be a lot less in Barcelona. Exactly. In football, you know, everything is always mask, masked by winning. And if you win, then fans are happy, no matter how you win. And if you're not winning, then obviously fans are going to poke holes in everything. Right. That's our roundup of La Liga this week. Should we look at... Uh, this season, by the way. And this season, actually. Yeah, good point. No more La Liga. So that's no more La Liga. So um hope you guys enjoyed it while it lasted. <laughs> Moving on to Serie A next. Yeah, Syria. Of course, the the big game was Juventus Lazio, two um, one Juventus, two times Ronaldo, one time Immobile. You know, for the neutral fan, it was the last hope to make the title race exciting. I mean, I think we can cl- conclude, which you already did, kind of last podcast, that Juventus will run away with the Scudetto. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's a sight for the football fans' sore eyes, aging like fine wine, scoring two <laughs> goals. He's the only player ever to have scored at least fifty goals in three different leagues. After his two goals against um, yeah. Prem Lazio. La, Prem La Liga and Serie A. Amazing. And, uh, you know, with Ciro Immobile scoring as well, it makes the top scorers fight very interesting. They both have 30 goals now. Incredible stats. Um, I think it's it was nice to see that Milan, AC Milan, hmm. they're finally looking back into form, showing great football in their 5-1 win against Bologna. Some nice tiki-taki play was made, especially... Um, I think the 5-1 or the 4-1, I'm not really sure. But, you know, they're in form. In the last five matches, they had uh, four wins and one draw. Uh, for me, the player of that match in their 5-1 win against Bologna was Hakan Chalanoglu. He played a great game. He went up 18.2% increase with a goal and an assist. Yeah, I think the LVP of this season, of this uh, match round, was Andrea Carboni. 
he had uh, he went down minus point he went down point five point nine percent. He had two stupid fouls, getting a red card in the forty eighth minute. Last week we talked about uh, um, two players who who could be interesting to choose. The first one was Alexis Sanchez. You were very wary about that, um, but he still managed to get an assist in the two two uh, draw Inter versus Roma, which yeah. caused a six point nine percent increase. So guys, if you listened. Uh, <laughs> There we go. But then we go to the next pick uh, <laughs> I advised, which was Nicolo Zaniolo. And that, I have to say, I have to admit... You've got to bite the bullet on this one. Exactly, <laughs> bite the bullet. It was a poor choice. He didn't even start the game. Uh, he got subbed on in the uh, 62nd minutes, replacing replacing Lorenzo Pellegrini. He got a yellow card, and he actually went down 2.6%. So apologies for that. But um, well, look, In the words of Arsene Wenger, you know, this is football. This, mm-hmm. is football. this is why the game we love is so hard to predict and if you can actually get these things right and uh, build up a beefy portfolio and actually win some battles on kickstocks then you are a football genius exactly so I think uh, the matches this weekend to look forward to one of them is definitely Milan-Atlanta uh, Milan in form Atlanta still in the in the top flights of the Serie A the player to watch I would say is Robin Gosens the half Dutch half German left back who can still play for both for either country um, he's a wanted transfer target this summer. There's talks of Juventus wanting him for the left back position. He's a super attacking um, left back player who can play on the midfield as well. He's threatening from the wings, especially in the, in the three five two formation which Atlanta play. And he scored really a couple of goals, so definitely want to watch there. Um, I also think Roma Fiorentina is an interesting match purely because of the stature of the clubs, big clubs. And I want to just highlight good old Frank Ribéry. Mm. Uh, 37 years old but still going strong uh, and he's a bargain at 8,632 euros on kickstock so um, you know he's, he's 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 getting back he's in form and he's looking to end the season strong so definitely having a watch out for him uh, quick one on that one actually um, Arjen Robin going to Groningen yeah uh, would he be a player you'd look at on kickstock absolutely yeah. absolutely I think he will make the team a lot better and uh, He's definitely going into my portfolio when the Eredivisie starts again. Yeah, I think any football purist would get that man in his, in his football portfolio. Surely, surely. Yeah. Uh, talking points for this week in Serie A. Um, we've already touched upon the fact that Ronaldo's become the quickest player to score 50 goals in Serie A history. And he's got 50 goals in Premier La Liga and, and uh, the competition as well. We're not going to dwell on that, though. It seems like we talk about him every week. Hugely controversial VAR decision, though, for the penalty awarded to Juventus from a handball on Bastos, I believe it was, on the edge of the area. Um... Essentially, what happened is Ronaldo shot the ball. It came at Bastos like a rocket. Uh, he turned around. It hit his arm. The referee was told by VAR to consult the monitor. So he ran essentially the length of the pitch. He got it. I don't know if you saw it. He, he got the wrong yeah. side of the pitch originally. He had to do a, yeah. <laughs> a big loop over to the other a side. nice little run for the ref. Exactly. Um, to say it was a 50-50 decision is, is definitely an understatement. I mean, this was a tight, tight decision. Um, it really would divide a room. I don't think anyone could say with any certainty uh, certainty what the decision was. So my question to you, Vic, is in these situations, if the decision's already been given as a free kick, which it was, should VAR have the power to reverse the decision as we see it so often in the Premier League? Or in this situation, is it less controversial if the match official actually goes to the monitor, views it himself, and then makes a call himself to reverse the decision in the first place as well. So you think it was a free kick? In my opinion, um, I think if the referee calls it a penalty originally, it has to stay as a penalty if it's if it's that 
Um, he called it originally a free kick. I think it was too close to decide whether it was a free kick or a penalty. In that situation, I would give the benefit of the doubt to the original decision, and I would just say it's a free kick because if you give a penalty, you're essentially awarding a, a guaranteed goal to Juventus, as it was. Um, I just think it's too... In such a tight situation, it's too tough to just say it's a penalty. I think you've got to stick with the original decision. I mean, I mean, the VAR is there to advise the ref. The ref will always be the... the yeah, the, 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 the end shot caller, mm. so to speak. So... Um, well, you'd like to think that. You'd like to think that. I mean, we're talking about Serie A right now, but just talking about VAR in general, in the Premier League, you don't see referees going to the monitor all too often. And very often you see the guy in the van operating VAR overturn decisions that are so close um, and so uh, polarizing that, uh, in, in, in my opinion, I think if you want to get take away a lot of the controversy in football matches you have to allow the match official on the pitch to be the ultimate decision maker and if he decides to reverse the decision as was done yesterday all right it's controversial but at least the referee on the pitch is making that decision and not a person in a van you know kilometers down the road but i think i think he's the one with the with the camera he's the or with the tv um Sure, um, sure, but he's the one with the television, where you, yeah. and he can see he can see the, the what's happening on yeah. on the. So, and there's got to be a certain type of trust between the VAR official and the the match official, because otherwise, if you look at the pace, there would never be any decision making. But then the problem is, if if you let VAR overturn decisions without the match official. Uh, being involved in that overturning of the decision. Who then is the real referee? Because, I mean, you, you see it often on, on BT as well. BT have the segment where they will get referees. When a decision's been made, the commentator will consult uh, a pitch-side referee, basically talks about the decision, whether they think it was correct or not. Very often you see the referees that they get in to help them with the commentary disagree with, with VAR, the decision VAR made. So it's a game of opinions. Um, the person operating VAR at the end of the day is just human. If it's such a 50-50 decision, in my opinion, you have to give the ultimate call with the match official on the pitch. They have to make that decision because you take that layer of controversy away, in my opinion. you know. Yeah. And in the Premier League, what you don't see often enough is the referee consulting the monitor. They're told not to because it takes up time yep. and the Premier League wants to be obviously a smooth package and they don't, <coughs> want, they don't want the ref to be, or they don't want the play to stop for too long, blah, blah, blah. But um, I, think, I think you have to let the match day official be the ultimate decider. Do you think in a in a in a fifty fifty situation? Yes, which which is what happened, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if there's a clear um, violation of some sort of rule, if it's clear and obvious, and and the referee might have missed it because he was looking away, yeah. and the and the VAR official says, "Listen, ref, this is a one hundred percent red card or whatever," then there's no need to look at the monitor. No, I think there should no. be some sort of trust in that I situation. That if it's clear and obvious, by all means, reverse the decision. But it's it's a strange, you know. It's I'm a, I'm a I'm always pro VAR. Mm. because it's just I think yeah it, it makes the game fairer yeah even though it's more annoying and speaking of uh, speaking as a Manchester City fan you know I have a poor experience with the era <laughs> in last it's not been, it's not been League, your best friend for sure. Champions League run yeah. but, but you guys uh, you guys love to cheat so uh, that's probably why <laughs> <laughs> not just on the pitch as well man let's move on tune in to last week's episode if you'd like more clarification on that point <laughs> Sorry, where were we? Oh, you naughty, naughty uh, let me, But let me just take it one step further then. I mean, we're talking about penalty decisions. Uh, offsides. Um, oftentimes, rules have to adapt and change with the technology of the day. Is it time to review how precise an offside should be? So if, if a player is offside by literally a millimeter, 
should that still be offside? Or should there be some leniency? Should there be some discussion around whether we allow a certain window of of uh, benefit of doubt for the player who is supposedly offside? No, I don't think so. Because if you don't draw a firm line, like one millimeter, then there's always going to be discussion. Because then how 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 big should that leniency be? Mm. And then there's still the lines of is he is he within that realm of leniency yeah, of course, by yeah. a millimeter or not? Mm. So there'll always be discussion and. You you gotta say it's gotta be binary. It's gotta be yes or no, and you gotta make those those uh, limitations clear because otherwise, you, it's it's so hard to defend. Otherwise, if there's if there's a, a room for errors, kind of thing. Yeah, there was um, there was one proposition put forward, which is you could change the offside rule to be. Uh, so you know how obviously the offside rule is. It's if any part of your body that you're allowed to score a goal with is in front of the defender. They were talking about maybe changing it to being. Um, as long as there is some part of your body that is still onside, it counts as an onside. You know what I mean? So even so if the like, other way around, kind of. Kind of. So if your right foot is still onside, but your whole left side of your body is offside, you'd still classify that as an onside because part of your body is onside. That could be maybe one way of working around it. I don't know what your thoughts on that might be. It's, it's still a possibility, but you always you always have these situations where it's borderline, right? Yeah. So that that could work but you the most important thing is is that it's clear this mm. is offside and this is not offside yeah. and then and then because there's always going to be close situations yeah. and you need some sort of line of demarcation yeah the problem i think the problem is is the rigidity of var is what a lot of people complain about var for so a, a lot of the fans who really don't subscribe to var they say it takes away from the magic of the game and i can kind of understand that because when in some cases when you have a beautiful goal let's say brilliant build up fantastic piece of skill goal goes in crowd goes wild and it's disallowed because literally we're talking the player's toenail was offside i mean sometimes that just feels like technology getting in the way of poetry in motion and it does take out some of the magic of football because you're denying a goal based on a technicality of maybe a player's foot being offside by we're talking millimeters you know I agree with you, but you know you got to be fair, and I'm sure the team who's conceded the goal would not think that way. I mean, you're an Englishman. Look at look at the 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 ref the or the arbitrational blunders that have affected you in the past. I'm talking about the World Cup goal, Frank Lampard against Germany, mm-hmm. meters over the line, so to speak. Even yeah. Diego Maradona pre pre goal line technology days. Even Diego Maradona's hand of God. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean. Obviously, those are key moments in footballing history. But at the time, as an English person, you would probably want there to be VAR. Of course, of course, of course, of course. And 100%. at one point, you're never going to make anyone, everyone happy. But you have to... The most important thing is that the rules are clear. Yeah. And I think you can't get more clear than that if anything is over the line of offside, it's offside. Mm. Because... That yeah, that's just the way yeah. it is. I think I think the reason VAR probably gets such a bad rep is the technology and the, and the concept itself is not bad. It's just the way it's implemented. Yeah, if you I do it, if you do it correctly, if you do it right, it'll be perfect. But sadly, there's still too many mistakes, too many controversial points, and it just gives it a bad rep. And it should be sped up. And it should be sped up. So that's the Serie A roundup for this week. I guess there's only one place left to talk about, and that's the good old Premier League. The good old Premier League. Good old Premier League. <laughs> Uh, we saw that Tottenham, they beat Leicester 3-0 to make the race for the Champions League tickets more exciting than ever. 
Harry Kane was also our MVP of this week, this match round. He scored two goals, uh, giving him a 20.8 increase. And that's a big week for Harry Kane because he's uh, had a lot of talk about, you know, people have been have been shutting him down, saying he's not been performing that well. So it's good to see him coming back to some bit of form. Exactly. And um, English is England's number nine. Mm. Uh, good to see that, he, you know, he can find the net again. Um, the LVP of the week was Danny Welbeck, minus point. Minus 9.9%. Uh, Watford lost 3-1 against West Ham. He only had 26 touches in the whole game. He was barely visible and and just a poor game all around from him. It's a shame because I was never a huge fan of Danny Welbeck when he came up at Manchester United. I always thought he was a, you know, very of- mediocre player. Mm. <laughs> um, and he proved it. So, uh, But <laughs> somehow I was hoping, you know, prove me wrong. At the at the lower levels of uh, of the Premier League, but um, I don't know. I've got a soft spot for Daddy Welbeck. I like him. Okay. Uh, I like him. But I mean, yeah, there you go. But you wouldn't put him in your portfolio. I wouldn't put him in my portfolio. No, no, probably no, not. Exactly. <laughs> my pick of the last week was James Justin from you, Leicester. Yeah, you'd put this guy in your portfolio, wouldn't you? <laughs> I did. Put uh, at least this you guy said last week you would. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he scored an own goal against Spurs. Um, but you know, to be fair. Uh, he was one of the better players uh, of Leicester nonetheless. He had 103 touches, which is a lot, with 87% pass accuracy. He won five of his seven duels. So even though um, the own goal does not help my pundit credibility, uh, I was not completely wrong. Um, but he did go down a slight bit <laughs> because of the own goal. <laughs> which is uh, the main thing. The games next week, now, as you know, James, it's the last uh, match around the Premier League this weekend. So uh, some exciting games with Chelsea against Wolves and United against Leicester. Uh, I think a more perfect ending for the C- for the Champions League battles, uh, for the ticket battles. It's, it's, yeah. There is no more perfect no, ending. No, because also if you look at the table, United and Leicester are equal on points and they're equal on goal difference pretty much. So it could be the difference between at the end of this at the end of the season, Leicester might have to beat United by a certain amount of goals and if they do it then they'll pull off a Manchester City 2012 all over again. <laughs> and that would be just our luck, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, it's all it's all about luck with City. Yeah? No, I think it's those are definitely the games to watch because everything's at stake. Yeah, uh, the players to watch. I mean, the attacking duo of Manchester United, and I say duo on purpose because even though I love what Mason Greenwood is doing at United, it's more about Martial and Rashford. Um, I hope they can both step up to be a deadly duo in the Premier League. You know, ending this season but starting again next season. Uh, definitely wants to, to put in your portfolio. Uh, from the Chelsea Wolves game, I would pick Cesar Aspilicueta, who had an epic game for Chelsea um, last game. Who's he's been so solid for uh, for Chelsea for the past years. You know, always contributing with his uh, strong defensive play, but also his attacking play. When you look at assists and even sometimes goals on that right side. Um, and Raúl Jiménez, uh, I think this might be one of his last games at Wolves. Uh, really? and I, and I, and Is he I off somewhere? I don't know, but I, you know, Manchester United are rumored to getting him, but I think that's less likely now that uh, the attacking trio are doing so well. But I think he can do better than Wolves, yeah. Mm. Even though that what they've done is very commendable this season again. Um, so either way, I think he will want to end this season on a bang. Um, put him in your portfolio and check it out. Right. So, talking points for the Premier League. Nigel Pearson was sacked as Watford manager with two games of the season remaining. 
The team now sit three points above the drop zone and face Arsenal and Manchester City in their remaining fixtures. So that means that Watford have now sacked three different managers this season. Uh, Javi Gracia, Kike Sanchez-Flores and now Nigel Pearson. So that means under-23s coach Hayden Mullins will take over until the end of the season. Um... Vic, since the club's takeover from the Pozzo family, uh, Watford, have, they've experienced a huge turnover of managers. Um, they've gone through, I think, about 13 managers in nine seasons. Um, it's quite a lot. However, the club, you know, they've finished bottom half of the table each season they've been in the Prem the last five years, but they've managed to stay in the league nonetheless. They reached an FA Cup final last season, despite getting thrashed by Manchester City 6-0. Uh, the th- Watford... You know, they play decent football. Um, they're not super successful, but they still have um, spells where they actually look like, you know, they're a, a, a good performing club. Um, do you have any problem with a club going through such a high turnover of managers? And in your opinion, do you think there's no such thing anymore as longevity in management in Monday football? I mean, are the Sir Alexes and the Arsene Wengers of this world now a dead breed? I think it's it's very tough to say because football is such a results-driven business um, that if the results are not there, it's so easy to say, let's get a new manager. Um, I think it's a shame because what first of all, let's say that what Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger have done at Arsenal United that's unheard of, and I don't think that will ever happen again. Especially with the success that that, that they both had, especially mm. Sir Alex, with the if you look at his trophy, yeah. and and, and the, the generation, the era they were from, it wasn't too uncommon for managers to stay in a club for a very long time. Anyway. No, but uh, I think I do think that club owners, if the results are not there, they get rid of their managers too easily, and I think they need to. Uh, I believe they need to look at more factors than just the results. Even though at the end it's all about the results, they need to look at the effect of the manager on the team. If the results are not there and the man and you see that the the sentiment within the squad is not where it's where it should be or it's not that positive as you as you'd hope it to be, then those factors will will definitely have an impact on you deciding to get rid of that manager. Do you think the fans have a part to play in that? Are modern football fans too fickle? Do they change their opinion too easily? I think the fans. They don't. I mean, they, the fans don't really have a, have a part to play in that because the most important thing no? is either their position on the table of the club and the players re, re, when regards uh, to a manager. Really? So yeah. you, you don't think um, fan sentiment, what they post on social media, their reaction after games, if a manager gets booed, you don't think that influences decisions at a board level? You see how easy fans are swayed. Um, they might not like a manager at the beginning because they think it's a poor fit to the squad or to the club because he doesn't have the club DNA or something of that matter. But if the results are there, everyone will love the manager. That's just how it goes in football. Mm. But the thing is, if the results aren't there, fans will generally, depending on the club, but fans will generally be the first ones to react and, and, and show that they're unhappy. But is it not up to the club to say, you know what, we hear you, we understand you, but we know what's going on behind the scenes. We trust in the process. We for trust sure. this guy's vision. We're going to stick with him. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So I think results are a huge factor in a manager's position at the club. But afterwards, you have to look internally of how the manager performs with the, with the squad, with the players, you know, their relationship with the board. And if that's all healthy, even though the fans might want him gone because the results aren't there, that should be leading instead of the fans. Mm. And sometimes maybe the fans... If they turn on the manager and that's not making a difference, maybe they'll end up turning on the board. And do you think maybe that sometimes sways the board into action? Because ultimately, the manager is always the fall guy. 
you know. So in most clubs, managers, if, if results are bad and if the football's not good, they'll always be the first ones to blame. Yeah, but sometimes there are things that go on behind the scenes in terms of recruitment, in terms of funding, in terms of transfer negotiations, in terms of contract negotiations, where maybe the club are letting down the manager in some sense, and the board, you know, by way of as way of a scapegoat, they sometimes fire the manager to say, you know what, he was the one doing the bad job, so we're going to let him go, and we're going to and keep the fans happy, and keep the fans happy, and yeah. absolve ourselves uh, from responsibility. No, definitely, and I, mm. I, I, I don't think that's always the the best strategy to, to handle a, a situation like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, um, the so-called new manager bounce. Uh, there's this theory. Uh, it's not even necessarily a theory. I mean, it, I, I guess you've seen it in practice a few times where an old manager will leave and a new manager will come in and all of a sudden the team that's been playing crap all season pull out the best form of their season uh, for the following eight games or something. Um, so the so-called new manager bounce, do you think that's actually a thing? I mean, we've seen famous examples of it. For example, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer first took over from Mourinho, they went on that crazy, was it 16-game winning streak? Oh. Roy Hodgson at Palace, uh, they lost their first eight games, uh, was it two seasons ago, without even scoring a goal, and all of a sudden they started playing good football. Uh, countless other examples of, of teams bouncing back. Um, is it a thing, or do we overhype it? No, I think it can definitely have a huge impact. I think I think it's you got to look at the situation. Of course, every situation with the, with the sacking of a manager is different. But I, if if the mentality and the vibe within the club and the energy is, is just not good, it's always good to have a, a a fresh new wind running over the players, the squad. You know, giving giving players who were uh, who had no hope of of getting playing time. Uh, under the former manager to you know to see okay now is a new chance for me to prove myself work extra hard instead of being in a in a in a lost situation. I mean, given given the fact that Watford only have two games left of the season to play, and those two games are against Arsenal and City, do you really understand why they sacked Nigel Pearson? Are they expecting that new new manager bounce, or I mean, what what was all that about? It's a, it's it's for weird. Nigel it's Pearson, strange, it's, isn't it's it? Very tough that yeah. they that they didn't let him win the fin. It does uh, seem odd finish the season but at the same time you know Watford still has everything to play for and they need to ch- they need to make ch- changes now yeah so uh, I can understand the board's perspective of saying like you know we need to do something now because otherwise it's too late and it's probably maybe it is too late already but mm. um, I think it's 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 you know it's a, it's a bitter pill for uh, for Nigel Pearson, Pearson yeah, but uh, it is from, from a board's perspective their, their ultimate goal right now is not to be nice to the manager but it's to stay up in the Premier League yeah you know what it's, I mean it's, it's funny I mean there's a London based sports consultancy called 20, 21st Club uh, they suggest the phenomenon of the new manager balance is totally overrated uh, they did some research and they essentially analysed the fact that what in their own words 75% of managerial bounce is down to luck and 25% of it is to do with fixtures players returning from injury a lift in spirits in dressing room uh, whatever and uh, they recorded some stats and basically they found that on average uh, clubs earned 0.8 points per game in the 8 points leading up to a managerial sacking compared to 1.2 points per game um, in the eight points after a new manager coming in. So the stats confirm that the new manager bounce is a real thing. But supposedly, the actual match statistics that we're looking at, shots on target, possession, tackles won, uh, distance covered, all these kind of things, they remained relatively the same. Uh, the only difference was luck. So is it uh, mostly down to luck? I don't know if it's, if, it's, if it's down to luck. I think, you know, what I said, that there's a new energy over, mm. the, over the players, that that definitely has an effect. Maybe it doesn't um, amount to better statistics regarding, 
you know those on-pitch stats yeah. but I think uh, mentality wise for the players it's it's sometimes really good to get a new manager and uh, a new a new energy yeah. in there yeah. yeah I guess at the end of the day it boils down to I guess human psychology doesn't it and uh, yeah in, in any walk of life not just football sometimes a fresh voice fresh ideas is something you need just to real spur uh, new impetus in uh, in your performance for sure Right, those are the talking points from the Premier League. We're going to end this pod this week just on a final segment. We're looking at the transfer market. Juicy, juicy. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Let's get it on. <laughs> right, transfer talk. Vic, as, uh, as per usual, I'm going to list a couple of names. Uh, some of the most cited transfer rumours of the week. And you're going to give me a score out of 10 on the probability and the likelihood of you thinking it's happening. Uh, or if it's already been a confirmed transfer, I want you to give me a rating out of 10 based on how good of a transfer you think it is. Yep. Can you do that for me? Yes, Are absolutely. Are you capable of that? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. For you, anything. Let's, let's, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Let's dive straight in head first. Nathan Ake to your beloved Manchester City. That's all but confirmed. Um, apparently it's all just down to now signing the paper, the paperwork and uh, putting ink to page what do you make of it? ratings out of 10 do you back that? Um, according to the, to, the, to the media messages I would say it's an 8 out of 10 confirmed I don't understand that transfer because I think City's best defender is Laporte who's a left-footed left centre-back as well. And I don't see Pep playing with two left-footed centre-backs uh, at the heart of his defence. That so, is a good point. Unless he's going to be benched? Like bench unless he's going to be benched, but then I wouldn't understand Nathan Ake going there. But, uh, mm. I mean, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's better than Laporte. So, for me, it's a strange, strange ideology why that's that's a, almost a confirmed transfer mm. Danny Ceballos to Arsenal on a permanent transfer obviously he's there on loan from Real Madrid now there's talk of him potentially being quite happy to sign permanently with Arsenal should Real Madrid let him go I think so I think I would say that 9 out of 10 Arsenal are, seem to be satisfied with his performances at the club if you look at Real Madrid's perspective you know they've got Odegaard coming in as a creative midfielder uh, who they can keep who I rate higher than Danny Ceballos especially uh, looking at his potential so I would be happy if Arsenal can pay an adequate fee for Danny Ceballos to let him go Ozil to move well fuck anywhere Ozil to move anywhere this year Ozil's gotta go away Ozil He's, he's unwanted at, uh, in North London. From an Arsenal perspective, he's a rotten apple in the squad. Uh. Get him out as quick as possible, sooner rather than later. From Ozil's perspective, I mean, what's important to him? If, if it's money, he can go to China. He can go to Saudi Arabia or Qatar or anywhere where they pay the big bucks or even the US. If he still wants to go play at a decent level in Europe, look at Italy. It's, it's, a, it's a league he hasn't played in yet. Or maybe back to Germany. Who knows? Maybe he can... Uh, you can do something special there. Why do you think, just on, on this topic, why do you think some players, especially the ones earning mega millions, I mean, we're talking the guys in the top bracket of, of the earning field, why are they so reluctant to take pay cuts um, to go to other clubs, even if it means reducing your salary from 350000 a week to maybe 200000 a week? You're still earning mega millions. Do you think it's an ego thing? James, James, I hope one day we will be able to to to, <laughs> to feel that dilemma. <laughs> but uh, it's a good no, problem to have, isn't it? I think I think these guys have have lived such a such a way of life, and 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 they've increased their standards in their way of living that they don't see a way back, or that yeah. You know, and it's it's definitely a greed thing. It's definitely an ego thing. Uh, relatively, you know, people can live with a hundred thousand 
pounds or euros a week less if it means that they're still earning 200,000 pounds a week. But, I mean, if they have to give up a certain lifestyle, which they don't want to, then then they don't. Yeah, onus is on them, I guess. Um, Ronaldo to stay at Juve this year at the end of the season, or does he go somewhere else to pastures new? And if so, where does he go? Do you have any ideas about this? I think that he'll stay one more year at Juve. And that will be his last year in top flight European football. Really? Yeah, and that will go to the US afterwards. Hmm. I think US kind of makes sense. In my opinion, what I think he should do, and his entourage, hopefully if they've got any sense, will tell him to do this. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's set the records at Juve this year. He's done great. Uh, goal scoring for fun. If he really wants to stay in Europe for another two, maybe one, maybe two seasons, and maybe break some more records, I see him go to PSG. And for me, that makes sense. I mean, Paris, he'd be an absolute superstar. It's a, it's a great city for a guy like him, especially he's got his fashion brand involved. Huge Portuguese community. He'd be loved out there. He'd be in Ligue 1, where I'm sure he could still perform at the top level and probably smash a load of goal-scoring records there as well and score another 20 goals in a season. And I, th- I still think PSG would, uh, would play him on a regular basis. And again... You know, Ronaldo is the secret source that teams are looking for in terms of Champions League performance, and that is the elusive trophy that PSG have been missing as well. If Ronaldo were to leave this summer, I think he could do two seasons at PSG and then maybe look at going somewhere like the States, going to LA or something like that. What do you reckon? Do you think? I think it's wishful thinking. It'd be interesting, to see, especially if Neymar stays, to have a tagging three of Ronaldo, Neymar, Mbappe. For me, that's too much ego in a I team. Actually think, I actually think Neymar would have to leave for that to happen. I think if Neymar yeah. left, I think they would be more than willing to do that. And and the Qataris, you know how they are. They see Ronaldo's name on the back of a PSG shirt, and and they would do it just just for that more than anything. Don't you think? I think I think then you're talking Ronaldo being 37 when he said PSG. In Liga, for, in Liga, you can still do I, bits. I mean, he's a 37 year old playing like a 30 year old. I, I think still... I think Ronaldo has proved everything he needed to prove at uh, at Juve now, and it's ready to uh, you know build down his career in the US become a superstar there um, and take brand Ronaldo to the next level exactly Beckham style Raul Jimenez to United finally you've already touched upon it slightly but um, rating out of 10 in terms of probability and rating out of 10 in terms of whether it would be a good signing so probability I used to think it was is in the high well let's say 7.5 out of 10 because I think um, they were missing a nice clinical finisher at United now I would say it's more of a 4 out of 10. I don't think United will, will go for a player like him because they have their attacking three who've been scoring goals, which is the most important thing for a forward. Um, and it would be a shame to see any of those three on the bench uh, in favor of Raul Jimenez, even though I think it's a great player. So I him leaving Wolves, I would hope for 9 out of 10. Um, I still think he'd be a good player at United, but... Um, It'd be it'd be shame if we saw Greenwood on the bench or or even uh, Martial or Rashford. Yep. Well, that's the roundup for this week. I have one for you as well. Oh, go on. By the way, go on. We t- we talked about Jan Oblak to Chelsea last week. Yes, we did. Uh, yesterday, I heard another rumor. And that's Mark Andre Ter Stegen to Chelsea. Mm. Because Chelsea seem mm. very keen on signing a new keeper. Ter Stegen is still uh, in negotiations with Barcelona. He wants to be one of the top paid players, which maybe rightfully so, because yeah. he's been a key player for them, yeah. a great goalkeeper. Definitely but they're still in negotiations. If that maybe doesn't go so well, he might want to leave and maybe try out the Premier League. Would we be talking a similar price to Jan Oblak, though? Yeah. 
I think both brilliant goalkeepers. Uh, both of them would be an absolute upgrade on what Chelsea have got already. And I think Chelsea would be delighted to have either one of those keepers. If you were looking at paying the same amount of money for the two, I would go for Yano Black, hands down, purely because I agree with you. I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. But as a, as a plan B, I mean, Tostegan's not a bad plan B either. So. It's, it's probably the second best goalkeeper in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you'd be happy with both of those keepers, to be honest. Um, Likelihood out of 10? Uh, likelihood to stay and go to Chelsea out of ten, I'll give it a, th- a three out of ten. I think I don't, I don't necessarily see it happening. I think to Stegen will probably stay at Barcelona another season, um, unless Barcelona have got real plans to get rid of him. But I, I highly doubt it. So, uh, no, I'd, I'd give it a three. They'd be stupid to get rid of him. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Thank you for that, James. Well, it's on, been an honor, bro. On, on, on that note, now <laughs> I think the roundup is done. It's been an absolute honor, Vic, as always, to record another weekly podcast of you. We always want to hear you guys' opinions. What do you think? What are your most exciting transfers for the summer? And who would you like to see go to another club? Uh, feel free to send us in your comments on the Instagram page, Kickstocks on Instagram. After that, thank you very much for joining us. It's been another week of Football Roundup, and we look forward to seeing you and having you join us again next week. Until then, take care. And goodbye. And goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>